Hey listeners, this is Marcia Epstein with Talk With Me. This is where I get to talk, you get to listen. I get to talk with often writers, sometimes people whose specialty is something else, but mostly writers about their work, about their writing, about what draws them to writing, about writing in 2017. And you get to hear some of their work. And you will hear me say several times during the show, buy the books, because it's important to actually support, not only read writers, you know, Um, buy that small book, buy that bigger book if you can, buy a bunch of books if you can. It's really great to buy from the small presses, from the authors at readings, from independent bookstores, and really support that thing of helping art happen. And, you know, you think about where do you go for readings, um, that independent bookstore in your community? Maybe it's a different kind of a venue, but, you know, you, you go to local businesses often to hear readings. Sometimes you go to universities and big places, you know, but a lot of times it's our, it's our local independent booksellers that are hosting readers. And so, you know, that's a good place to choose to spend some of your money. Doesn't have to be a huge amount, but whatever you're going to spend on something, consider that. Buy local, buy art, buy poetry. Yeah. I'm sitting here with a whole pile of poetry next to me, which is really cool. Um, And today I get to talk with a poet who is based in Topeka, Kansas, not really far from where I am, but still we all have our own communities and activities. And this is a person who I have heard read in Lawrence, Kansas. She has read other places as well. And I love that she's connected with some poets who are really dear to me who are in Topeka. You know, there's all this these connections, Topeka and Kansas City and Lawrence and Salina. Shout out to Emery Dirks. Just all these wonderful things going on. Um, and I'm and I'm happy to be whatever part of that. And so I'm going to start stop blabbing. That is, and introduce my guest today, who is Joan Coromonte. Welcome, Joan. Well, thank you, Marcia. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm glad to do this. I'm so glad that you have a new book out. I think the last time I talked to you and heard you read, I, I think I've, I asked you like, when is it going to be on the page? Because I'm one of those people who like. I'm, I'm notorious for if I'm going to a meeting or something and people are handing out paper, I say, no, thanks. I don't need your paper. Just tell me where to find this online. But when it comes to poetry, I love having the books. I love having the opportunity to hear a poet read and then be able to have that book, you know, often that book signed by that poet and, and to read the words slowly on the page and remember what it sounded like in that person's voice. I love that combination. And again, that's that's part of why I encourage people to, to actually buy the books and have that experience. Anyway, Joan, I've heard you read, I, you know, I'm going to say over several years at this point. And again, I'm, I'm thrilled to have your book sitting next to me to, to be able to, to reread those words as opposed to just hearing them and getting that sense. So I want, I want other people to understand why I'm so excited about this. So one of the ways I want to start that conversation is for you to tell us a little bit about you, just a little bit of background so people have some sense about, you know, kind of what your life is these days. Um, and, and then we'll talk more about your writing and, and hear your poetry. Okay. Well, 
Right now, I uh, am working as a social worker. I've been involved in working with photography, taking a class at Washburn University currently. Nice. Uh Um, That's another way that I express my art. Uh And I'm I'm also a hand percussionist. I like to play cool. with, with jazz bands, uh-huh. so I get a chance to express myself in a number number of different ways. Uh huh. Well, when you mention jazz and percussion, I'm thinking this would be an, a wonderful thing to have you with our current court. Poet laureate Kevin Remus, who of course is a jazz musician, musician as well, and and wouldn't that be cool to have both of you and the music? Absolutely, we've talked about that. Cool. And I've kind of I've got a standing invitation to uh, read with his band, but I wanted to wait until I had my book out. Uh huh. And now that it's out, I'm going to be contacting him and letting him know that. Uh, I'm ready to read with him. Yay. I think it's going to be be really nice. Oh, yeah. I think that's very cool. Yeah, I love that. You know, I think about people, and I know know that you have readings coming up. And so the idea of of reading with Kevin Rabus, that that sounds wonderful to me. I, I love those combinations, and I love, like you said, photography and percussion and poetry, all of those. I'm I'm a huge fan of photography. Like I we joke about how I use my phone more because I'd like to be able to take pictures wherever I am than I use it to make voice phone calls. <laughs> I know what you mean. I'm kind of the same way. <laughs> so poetry, photos, and percussion. Yay. I I'm eager to ask you a question, and it's a big one. And so I don't know if, that I should really start here, but I'm gonna. Here's my question: What is it like currently in this time period, being a black woman poet, when it seems like there's always there are always so many white male poets filling up rooms. Well, that's a that's a fact, and um, being a black female poet is always a challenge. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I find that my audiences are very receptive, yeah. and um, I really haven't had any uh, personal problems in that area. I mm-hmm. love reading with uh, with the white male poets. That's all right with me. <laughs> so I'm I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, as I was say, I'm really conscious that I have many people who I really consider friends who are white male poets, mm-hmm. and and I also am aware that they don't necessarily recognize how much air they take up out of any room that they're in. (laughs) Well, that's not the nature of the beast, I think. (laughs) 
And it's, it's really interesting to me because another thing that I'm involved with is I volunteer for a program that's called Girls Rock Lawrence. That's, that's a, a space for um, female and trans and gender nonconforming youth to be able to make music together. Kids who've never played music at all get to learn how to play an instrument, write a song as part of a band, perform it, you know, and, and it's intentionally a space without cisgender males to, to really give space for other people, you know, and, and I hear people say different things about that, but I, but I see the benefits, you know, I see the benefits of saying we're clearing space for us, you know, you don't get to overpower us and, and Again, the the overpowering isn't necessarily intentional, but it happens a lot. Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. So, do you have do you have people people of color, people who who are not male, who are sort of part of your poetic community in particular? I mean, is that part of what nurses you? Or are you pretty much on your own? Well, I'm not exactly on my own. But I do have a couple of uh, female poets that I am friends with, uh-huh. and we share ideas and um, share poetry, of course. One being Annette, and uh, that'd be Rhonda Annette Billings. Annette Billings, yeah, I uh-huh. had a and Rhonda Miller. Ah, I love both of those people, yeah. So it's not, it's kind of a, it's kind of a treat, really, when I stop and think about it, because uh, we are women poets, Uh and uh, outside of the poetry, we can also be friends with each other. Uh huh. So we do things like, um, oh, maybe have lunch together or go to readings together and that sort of thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know whether, because I know you've performed a lot in Kansas City, I don't know whether you've crossed paths with Natasha Ria Elskari. Um, I met her at the Poetry Fair in Lawrence a couple of years ago, and she's awesome. She's an amazing poet. She is a, a black woman. She's she's like her things include her poetry and her family. And then she's part of this cool thing called Roland Groceries, where they do this grocery thing of taking this this kind of van truck, Winnebago, whatever it is, mobile home kind of size thing of groceries to different neighborhoods that don't have groceries. You know, she's oh. like, how cool. So she, I, if you haven't met Natasha yet, you need to meet her because she's amazing. And I can't imagine anything other than love between the two of you. Because when I met her, it was like, wow, this woman, I need to know this person. And, and she's, she's amazing. Anyway, because yeah, I think, better. yeah, I think oh, a I'm lot about those people. Yeah. Sorry. I was at that fair. Um, when Natasha read, and that was my first time hearing her, uh-huh. I I was very impressed, of course, but uh-huh. I didn't really I didn't really get a chance to talk with her, you know, uh-huh. outside of the, letting her know that I enjoyed her her work. 
Uh-huh. Uh, but she's uh, she's on my radar. Yeah, obviously. good, 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 good. And you know, and again, and me asking you the question about your poetic community. One of the things that's going on in Lawrence um, is that some some people, including I don't know whether you've met Mercedes Lucero um, or Alex uh, Williams, Alex Kimball Williams. Um, there's a a new group that has started with the acronym Black Lawrence, Black for Black Literature and Arts Collective of Kansas. Um, and so they're doing some poetry readings and other art together, you know, intentionally building this space for Black artists, which I really appreciate. I, one, I, you know, I know some of the people who are part of this and, and I, they're awesome in terms of music and, and poetry. And, and I really respect and appreciate saying, you know, this is going to be our space. You know, we, we are going to do these things. Everybody is welcome to come participate. And so, so I'm seeing these community building things happen and, and those things that excites me. I think that's really great, both for people, for community, well, three, for people, for community and for art, you know, to have, to have those spaces together. Absolutely. I hadn't yeah. heard about this particular group, but that's something I need to check into. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can connect you with that because it, it is a cool thing. And, uh, and I know in Topeka, you all have first Friday art walks in Lawrence, it's final Friday. And so at the um, October final Friday, they, they did performances at um, the, the um, art studio for Dave Lowenstein, who you may know because I know he works on murals in Topeka amongst other places. And he's also what we call the cultural agent for the US Department of Arts and Culture here in Lawrence. Anyway, so so that question about community, because I, you know, I, 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 I know we all balance between what's going on in the world and what's going on inside of us and what's going on with people who we're most connected to and, you know, all these different influences. And, and we all need those connecting spaces of people who really get us. And, and there are things, there are things that I, as a white woman, can't get about you. You know, I don't know, I don't have the same experiences, but I have things in common with you that I don't have with some of my white male friends, you know? <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And to me, that's part of the beauty of art is that it, it's expression and it's connection. And, and often it's kind of surprise connections. You know, I didn't realize that I'd be so enthralled with this person because I met them because they were the ones standing at the mic and, and reading. And, and I just went, wow, you know, and that's how I feel about your work. I don't, you know, I don't know if we crossed each other on the street, if we would have said, Hey, I want to talk to you. But, but then since I've heard you read, it's like, Oh man, Joan has powerful words. So I'm blabbing it. What I would like to do is have you read some of your poetry and then we will talk more about, you know, sort of how you create this. All right, sounds good. I'm going to start with a poem that's in my latest release, Murmurs from Beneath the Merry-Go-Round, is the title of the book. 
And this poem is entitled, At the Mercy of Words, and it's in two parts. Part one, breath. Would it be anything save voice, that thing that connects us only to betray us with an unknown tongue? Amused, these words frolicking in our confusion, like spinning teacups advancing toward the chipped rim, and we, tentative in thought, only to utter that last absurdity. They must hold us hostage, and we are forever needing their mercy. The random thought to share, to snare, and again, words, merciless in their solitude, a single breath. Part two, bastinado. And it would be death again, that murky doorway to come. Handle it tenderly, my friend. It will not be gentle with you. That murky doorway to come, that threshold we all must pass. Our handmade plans left behind, and in their solitude, a vision. Handle it tenderly, my friend. Preparation for the next journey and all the familiar twists and turns that come with this mortality. It will not be gentle with you. It will buffet and blow, buffet and blow, and leave you gasping. And yes, it will be death again. Tell me about that, like some of what was in you that needed to come out what prompted that poem that you just shared? Well, I was just thinking about the task of using words to express ideas and in an ethereal sense, the words are, have their own being, Mm -hmm. so to speak. And as a poet, I have to count on every single syllable, every single word that goes into a poem. Mm -hmm. And because of that, like I say in the poem there, I'm at their mercy. Uh And being so, I have to take into account how each word wants to be presented Uh in the poem. Uh Uh-huh. So that's where that came from. Uh-huh. I I love what you just said. Not not that I could repeat it accurately, but I love you speaking about what poetry to me that's like what poetry is in the sense of this the strategy the importance of each word, each sound and so much packed into smaller numbers of words than than in a short story or some other kind of writing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because I always think about one of one of those dear poets that we both know in Topeka, Dennis Edsel Jr. For some reason this stuck with me that that when we were talking about his work that he said that he was influenced by comics. You know, that that he was a kid and an adult who who loved comics and how there's such little space for the words in each square, you know, and that was an influence on, on being really um, 
high impact in words that he uses in his poetry, which is what you were talking about in, in different words. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the, the second part of the poem with the theme of death, will you say something about that? Well, it has to do with the fact that we are just passengers on this planet for a short time. And we need to make the most of that time that we have. But we will someday pass from this plane into another realm. And we need to be aware of that uh-huh. in our day-to-day functioning. Mm-hmm. Because there will be an end, which will be a beginning. Mm-hmm. And to me, that the whole talking about death is so needed. And, and I love the way you're talking about death as part of life. And, and it's something that I believe so strongly that that's a reason to live every day and be part of goodness and kindness to ourselves and other people and part of advocacy and part of lots of things that, that to live fully as opposed to worrying that, well, at some point I'm going to die. Well, yes, we all are going to die or, or denying it, you know, or pretending that's never going to happen. And we have all the time in the world. We, we never know what time, you know, how much time we have, or anybody we we cross paths with, you know. So, so we need to do now those things that are really important to us. Yes, I agree. And for some reason, I'm not exactly sure why, but death does appear in uh, several of my poems. Uh huh. Not that I'm obsessed with it. Don't get me wrong, but um, it's something that. Unfortunately, this society wants to turn its back on uh-huh. and, like, like you were saying, pretend like it's never going to happen. Uh-huh. But it's, uh, it's all a part of life and something that uh, needs to be expressed. And yeah. I think poetry is uh, a good way to broach that subject uh, because it's not in your face and... Yeah. And, you know, for me, I have even added some specific poetry books to my collection of books that I lend to people in the suicide bereavement group that I facilitate, you know, for some people reading poetry is more accessible, more meaningful to them than reading more of a of a memoir story kind of book about surviving suicide loss you know and there there are a couple of people I've, I've i mentioned this recently in my social media alexis roan vancher has this powerful book of uh lgs to joshua that is about her son and her and her son who died while he was in his 20s of, of a, an aggressive cancer i believe Mm-hmm. And Taylor Molly, who's a, a poet that some people know from 
of his spoken word. He has a great piece about what teachers make that I that I love. But he recently released a, a chapbook um, that's related to his experience with his wife, his first wife, who lived with depression and died of suicide. And mm. um, he just came out with that book. And then the poet Edward Hirsch has this beautiful book, one long poem. It's like 70 some pages that's uh, called Gabriel, a poem, which is about his son, Gabriel, who died of an accidental drug overdose, struggling with substance abuse, you know, and, and, and I've loaned those books to people and, and found, yeah, it's like, yeah, this, this speaks to me of, this is how hard it is. And these people get it. And, you know, and, and it gives hope, you know, that, okay, so then I can live and not just barely live, but actually get to a place where I'm glad I'm alive, even with the loss of this person who I love so dearly. Yeah. So poetry, photography, percussion, and death. <laughs> and jazz music, lots of things. And and I'm sitting here looking at your book, um, Murmurs from Beneath the Merry-Go-Round, which is one of those delightful little square books from the pop poetry series from uh, Spartan Press and Prospero's. And, and of course, the photo that you chose for the front of the book is with you reading in the uh, Poetry Alley, as we sometimes call it, in front of the Celebration of Cultures mural in Lawrence, Kansas. And and I love this photograph. You've got on this light colored shirt and then there are these doves uh, being released by hands above you. It's it's a beautiful cover and, and it's really special to me again because I recognize what that mural is. Yes, that was, um at one of the busker fairs uh-huh. that we ha- uh, was taking place in Lawrence and in the Poets Alley. Uh-huh. I can't really take credit for this particular cover. That was done with the artist at Spartan Press. Okay. But when I saw it, uh, of course, I knew about the photograph, but uh, when I saw the actual book cover, mm-hmm. I um, was very pleased that yeah. they took that uh, that photograph. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. How did you connect to do a pop poetry book? Well, Jason Ryberg came to me, uh-huh. and he had... Um, we had known each other for several years. I used to re- read at the open mics that um, they had at uh, Prospero's uh-huh. years ago. Okay. So I met him then. And then when I came out of hiding and uh, <laughs> got, got back into poetry again, uh, we reconnected. Uh-huh. And he just asked me one day if I'd be interested in uh, making a pop poetry book. and uh, I took it as a very high honor because these little books are quite powerful. Yes. And um, they give you a chance to get your name out, get your work out. And um, I just 
as I said, I, I took it as an honor, and um, I was very pleased to be able to contribute my little volume to the uh, long list of pop poetry books yeah. now. Yeah. I love it. As I, you know, I look at it and I think about, and I have a book that that is from that series from Jen Harris and and Huascar Medina and you know I could just kind of go through Natasha who I mentioned earlier earlier not Natasha Real sorry I I have her pop poetry book and and you know just I have a whole bunch of them and I love that because they do really make it an accessible introduction to this poet's work um Prim One, I think before yours, I think Prim One was was probably the most recent one that I bought, and and it's so cool to have these books and and again to have been able to hear you read, you know, and hear it in your in your voice, as well as have it on the page. It's a really cool thing. And huge shout out to Jason and Jason Reberg and and uh, Jeanette Powers who decided we can do a book a month. We can do this thing that nobody thinks we can do and we can do it. And sure enough, 30 years is book number 34, it says. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's that pretty is. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned that you read um, at Prospero's long ago and then went into hiding. Um, I know that you have been part of the Kansas City Poetry Throwdown. There's been two years of that. And then the next incarnation will be Fountain Verse in October of 2018. So tell us a little bit about performing at, not just performing, but being at that three-day poetry weekend in Kansas City that's focused around Prospero's. Oh, well, it's something that you just can't miss. Okay. It's um, a wonderful way to get to meet other poets, obviously, and um, but to really get to know them. Uh-huh. That even in the space of three days, you can form uh, friendships and connections with yeah. people from all over the country. Yeah, uh, I like it personally because it's a chance for me to glean ideas, uh-huh. and um, once again reconnect with people that I maybe just met the year before. Uh huh. Um, I just find it a, a just a wonderful time. Yeah. Everyone is sweet and everyone is uh, on the same page, so to speak. Yeah. And um, well, it's it's just hard for me to explain the uh, feeling as a, as a poet when yeah. you get a chance to be around other poets that. You may or may not particularly like their actual work, uh-huh. but you but you can also but you can lo- learn to uh, enjoy their work, and you yeah. can like them, yeah. and uh, and it's a chance to once again connect with people from all over the uh, all over the nation. Yes. Yes. I really appreciate what you said that that you could really like the opportunity to get to know to connect with poets even whose work you don't really love you know (laughs) I've I've been known to say that 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 there are some poets who I really really like as people 
but their work, not so much. <laughs> well, you know, that's, that's one of the beauties about poetry, I think, is that a particular poem or a particular volume of poems may not be exactly for you, uh-huh. but it will be for someone out there. Uh-huh. And and as a poet, we we know to expect that there will be people that don't particularly care for our, our particular work. Uh-huh. But that's okay. That comes with the uh, territory. Right. And that's right. one of the beauties about poetry is that you can have a poem that may not touch one person, but may touch 10 others. Yes. And, yes. Uh, that's what keeps me writing, quite uh-huh. frankly. Uh-huh. That's cool. And and just to say another bit about the poets for the throwdown, which again will be fountain verse in October of 2018. There one of the people who who I really love is Bill Gaynor, who is this, you know, he's he's this poet who's been writing since the 60s. He lives up in Northern mm-hmm. California. And he's one of those people who is delighted to connect with younger poets, poets of other generations, you know, to encourage and mentor to to a certain extent. So I've I've mentioned this recently, but um, another poet, Scott Silsby, has this poem about young poets and old poets' uh, stories. And and so I, I love that, that connection thing that happens, you know, that's part of what, what happens at the throwdown and and what happens in other spaces is people get to to learn from each other both ways. I was introduced to a word by a friend in total different context. She's she's um, she's in seminary, which blew me away. She's a trans woman who who went uh, into seminary and is continuing that. And she was talking about a uh, I don't know exactly what it's called, but it's a queer space this conference within her faith tradition and that they were talking about learning from each other. And of course we all know the term elders, but they use a term yelders, just adding a Y to the front of it to, to refer to younger people who also have that experience and power and conviction and lots to teach, you know? And, and I think about that in the poetic space that, that there may be some very young poet who blows somebody away. And, and in your own community, I think about how Matt Spezia, his work took off, his influence, his way of writing and performing is way beyond his age, you know, that, that people, the level of impression that, you know, that how impressed people are by his work is is surprising when they realize maybe the first time they heard him he was like 19 years old or something you know it's it's very cool and and i think about the throwdown is kind of like summer camp for poets you know where once a year you get to see these people some of whom you already knew and some that you met like you said and it's this one time a year when you get to hang out together and renew those connections it's super special and nurtures you throughout the year absolutely yeah yeah and so you have that, and then you have the speakeasy community in, in Topeka, right? Yes. You, and have, yeah. Matt was a, is a speakeasy poet. Uh-huh. And my first time hearing Matt was uh, at one of their open mic readings. 
Uh-huh. And you're quite proud of Matt. Uh-huh. He's done remarkably well. Uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, he's one of my favorites. He's, he's become one of my favorites. So. Cool. And Speakeasy, tell us a little bit about performing there, because you all have a monthly open mic, first Wednesdays of the month. So what's that like for you? Well, Speakeasy is a, is a blessing um, because it allows me a chance to read out loud work that I've been, uh, that I've written and um, get it out of my own head, so to speak, and um, get it in front of other people that write poetry and people that appreciate poetry. So we generally have pretty much the same crowd. We've had a teacher from Highland Park High School here in Topeka who brings her class to the uh, open mic. And that's been a wonderful infusion of of, uh, young poets high school kids uh-huh. that um, gives them a chance to get on the mic for the first time and to express themselves openly like that. Uh-huh. And it's just, uh, it's just become a, a mainstay here in the poetic community here in Topeka. Yeah. Yeah. And I know sometimes you have featured performers who are from other communities as well who always rave about what a great experience it is to be there. Well, that's good to hear because, yes, we're, we uh, try to invite other poets that uh, we run into or that we've uh, picked up a book and enjoyed. Yes. It's, um, it's just a really good time. And yes. I, I look forward to it each month. That's great. And I have to mention that you all embrace Jessica Elise, our dear friend who who died of brain oh, yes. cancer. And, yeah. and you know, one of her last public readings was at Speakeasy. And her, her love of her life, Macy Webb, you know, came and performed at Speakeasy. And, and I love that connection as well. Yes. We all miss Jessica quite a bit. Yes, 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 yes. So I would like to invite you, as we're talking about reading, to again have you read some more of your poetry. Okay. I'll be glad to do that. Let's see. Here's one. Spirit Wound. You said photography was too difficult for brown-skinned, sad-eyed female types like her. Then her artistic heart deferred to her empty belly, so she learned to clean. His sticky toilets and cat hairy Persian rugs and dusty picture frames. Gritty countertops and grimy leatherette sofas and coffee-stained sink drains. Rusty steel cabinets and wobbly antique bookcases and parquet-tiled floors. Slick shower stalls and cluttered desktops and fingerprinted glass doors. But she developed allergies to your dust and mold. Her back and legs gave out, staggering under her heartstone. Her spirit wept constantly. 
So she bought a Nikon F1 secondhand, photographed flowers, and shadow box with the cat. I love that ending. (laughs) (laughs) And if it were me, I'd say, and said a big, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that's such an eloquent way of saying such powerful, communicating such powerful emotion in this kind of gentle way, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's this, this, dichotomy to me of you know it sounds like this this little story and it's a huge message about the assumptions and and limitations that get imposed on people you know and and it's hard and sometimes impossible to break past those at certain times in our lives that's that's an amazing poem well thank you it's um a little autobiographical because I put myself through college uh, cleaning office buildings. Uh-huh. So it, um, I had run into some difficulty with um, just a line of, of photography when I first started out. Uh-huh. And uh, and like I say, I was cleaning office buildings at night and going to school during the day. And it just kind of came to me about all the things that I had to do and um, to keep a job. Mm-hmm. But my real heart laid, lay in uh, artistic expression. And mm-hmm. at that time, it was photography that I was trying to uh, get into. So that's where that poem came from. And photography is someplace you came back to in the poem and in real life. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned your art and college. And so I'm wondering, I, obviously, you're a social worker now. Did you also study art in college? No, that was a um, very disappointing time for me when I first started college because Back in those days, you had to get the uh, approval of the department head in order to major in a particular subject. And uh, when I went to talk with the department head about uh, majoring in in the art department, he just looked at me and laughed and said, uh, you people can't make a living in art. Oh, my and, God. Yeah, and um, being fresh out of high school, I was taken aback by that, of course. Yeah. And um, I really had no other no other recourse at the time, but to go into a different area of interest, which was psychology and uh, social work. Mm-hmm. So that's what I eventually did. Uh-huh. But uh, he didn't kill the artist in me. Good. He uh, he put the brakes on me majoring in art at that particular university, but uh, he didn't he didn't kill the artist. Good. And that's what counts. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Wow. 
And and you as an artist, speaking of that and back to your poetry, I know when we were preparing to do the show, you mentioned that you're currently working on a manuscript that's expected next month in December. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Well, it's just a, it's going to be a chat book put out by a Cinemale uh, publication, which is my publication uh, company. Okay. okay. So it's really just a chat book of uh, some newer poetry and some things that uh, I'd like to share uh, with people that, you know, enjoy poetry, of course. Okay. Uh, that December date may get pushed back because I'm working with and in negotiations with a young man uh, who is uh, regular at the uh, Speakeasy Open Mic, Adam Smith. And uh, Adam has not had a chat book, um, and he's a little bit tentative about his work, uh-huh. but he he writes some beautiful, beautiful poetry. So I just approached him and uh, asked him if he would would be willing to work with me on a uh, on a chat book. Uh-huh. And he said that he would. Uh-huh. So I'm going uh, to put my work aside temporarily uh-huh. and concentrate on on uh, Adam's work and helping him get this this first volume out because that's always the hardest. Uh-huh. Cool. Very cool. Well, like I say, he's a he's a wonderful poet and uh-huh. um I just want to see I want to see more people exposed to his work. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm going to be doing in in December, I'll put it that way. Wonderful. Wonderful. So you're you're gonna work with his chapbook first, and then get back to yours. It sounds like. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at right now. Yeah. Any chance that you'll use your photography for a cover or some other part of a chapbook at some point? Oh well, that is a possibility. <laughs> yeah. It depends on uh, if he has a particular scene uh-huh. with his body of work. And uh, and what he wants, of course. Yeah. So, uh, but it is a possibility that I might uh, have some photography that I can use. Uh huh. Cool. Very cool. And also, I want to mention you'll you'll have a reading in January on Thursday, the eighteenth of two thousand eighteen, at the Raven Bookstore here in Lawrence, Kansas, and and you you shared that. You will be reading with Rhonda Miller, who you mentioned as one of your dear poet friends, and Huascar Medina, who is a wonderful person and poet and actor and singer and dancer and all kinds of things. He does everything. Yeah, and he's also based in Topeka, as you are. And then Jose Faust, who is this another wonderful person, a painter, a muralist, a poet, a teacher, yeah. all kinds of things, you know, and it's like, what a powerful set, the four of you. I can hardly wait. And, and sometimes I have things that interfere with being able to get to things, but my hope, I'm putting that one on my calendar and I really want to be there 
and huge shout out to Danny Kane, the, the current owner of the Raven Bookstore for using that space for wonderful readings like this. I'm, this is That's going to be a great one. That is really going to be yep. a good, good time to, to hear poetry that's really powerful and wonderful from that set of the four of you. And of the set of the four of you, none of you are a white male. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I chose the lineup based on uh, the people that I know and uh, respect their poetry. Wow. Um, it just so happens that it just turned out to be the four of us. Uh-huh. Um, and I really didn't think about the white male. Um, <laughs> but yeah. it's all good. It, it is. Uh, it's very good. It'll be a fun time and um, a marvelous time for people to come out and hear some very good poets. Yes, yes. And to buy the books because... You and Huascar have pop poetry books. I apologize because I don't know whether Jose did one of those. Yeah, yeah he does. Okay, okay. So I don't, I don't have that one. I didn't know. I've heard him read. I've talked to him. I've seen um, examples of his art. So uh, you know, in terms of his uh, visual art as well, and and heard stories about him working with uh, Hispanic kids. It's just like, ah, oh, man, wonderful stuff. Wonderful stuff. So that'll be coming up on January 18th, 2018, which is, oh, you know, it's two months off from when we're recording this. But the way the world works, at least in my book, it seems like that's going to be here soon. <laughs> Not to scare you, Joan, because I know you want to get Adam's chapbook out before then. But, but uh, it'll be January 18th before I know it, that's for sure. Yeah. And would you share another poem? I'd be glad to. This is one of my um, one of my jazz poems. Cool. So you'll have to just kind of think of a jazz band playing in the uh, background. Uh huh. This is from Murmurs again. It's entitled "Walking the Sacred Paths," and it's in two parts. One, all this time he was crying for a vision in order to prepare the sacred place. They enter to the spot chosen to be center, then leave by the north path we chose to call Coltrane. He walks alone, crying for a vision, walking very slowly. The brother can move in no other way than this, that the people may live without despair. Finding the center requires a jazz man, requires his sensibilities and recalcitrant soul. All night long, this is what he does. He must always be careful and alert because visions often come in the form of smoke-stained tears and God is everywhere, finger-stamping. Part two. Then there is always the Southern Path, Miles and his horn of plenty, not bound to earth, but bebopping to that extra rhythm within. Two notes after his last heartbeat, all night long he walks this sacred path, always anxious to receive those who seek him with a pure heart, as powerful visions 
come to us in sleep. In the late nights, the jazz people come, signifying and challenging. The crowds dance steps and endurance for crying visions and bebopping. For some, they may appear insignificant, but God is everywhere, toe-tapping. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. So perhaps some of the jazz poetry will come when you perform with Kevin Ravis. <laughs> yeah. 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 That'd be very cool. That really would be. And so I'm looking forward to working with uh, Kevin. I've heard his poetry, of course, and I've heard his band. And uh, yeah. it's something that, uh, like I say, now that now that the book is out, uh-huh. I am um, I'm really looking forward to connecting with him in the very near future. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like for your listeners to um, keep their ear to the ground and. Um, eyes to the sky and be ready to come and uh, hear some good jazz poetry and some jazz music. Absolutely. Absolutely. And definitely post that on the Voice of Lawrence poetry page, as well as the Talk With Me page when, when we've learned that there is a time and place for the first time for that to happen. Because I'll assume it'll be somewhere between Emporia and Topeka. <laughs> well, it's uh, the last time we talked about it, it was a coffee shop there in Lawrence. And I'm oh, sorry. Amy's, I- coffee shop. Amy's Coffee Shop is where Kevin regularly does some poetry and music. Okay. Well, that's, uh, yeah. that's what we've talked about uh, hearing. All right. So that's what'll happen. Yeah, very cool. That's great. That's really good news. <laughs> So that makes it that makes it a commute for each of you. You you and Kevin meeting kind of in the middle here in Lawrence. <laughs> yeah. yeah, wonderful. So the, your poetry, when you when you think about it now, part of what I'm wondering is, you know how powerful it is for you and your audiences, and I'm wondering if you also use it or use sort of encouragement to write in your social work. Well, sometimes I do with the when the individuals that I work with. Uh-huh. My primary work is with groups, uh-huh. but every now and then I'll have a young person that I'm working with individually, uh-huh. and I uh, encourage them not necessarily to write poetry, but to write down their ideas and their feelings, and uh, it can be a real help in giving them a chance to express themselves without being self-conscious about it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yes, I, uh, I, I occasionally encourage a, a person to, to write. Uh-huh. Um, and it's twofold. One is to, for me to get a better understanding of them, but it's also, very therapeutic to yeah. actually see the words on a page yeah. and um, be able to take that step back from it and um, see it in a way that they hadn't thought about before. 
So, yes, I do use it in my social work practice. Yeah. You know, and to me, obviously, that's a natural thing. As you know, I host this event on, well, suicide prevention day called Words Save Lives. And, and it came because that for me to say Words Save Lives came because I kept hearing writers, actually other kinds of artists as well, say that it, their art saved their life, that, that they were able to get things out first to clarify mm-hmm. it to themselves, like you're saying, by getting it on paper or canvas or dance or whatever their, their medium was. And then there's this other thing that, that happens when it's shared and other people who have similar experience get it. And I think a lot, I was asking you about the, you know, if you use it in your, in your social work, because again, it's something that I, that I definitely do. And, and like in my, my pile of books that crosses the, the, my work in social work and, and the radio, I've got a book from Iris Craver, who is a poet. Um, and she has a book called Write to the Source, a journaling guide for recovery. And, and it's 52 um, writing, 52 words. Um, so a word a week for each year. And then a s- seven days of prompts related to that mm-hmm. book. I mean, excuse me, to that word. And, and then um, a, a dear poet friend in Long Island, New York, Rob Plath, wrote this book, I think it was years ago, called An Axe for Frozen Sea. And it's creative writing exercises. And I've, and I've shared these with people who are going through a lot of different kinds of things. It's like, here's, here's you know, an, a prompt to write some of this and see what it's like. And when I was talking to Iris about it too, you know, you mentioned there's this benefit of getting it on paper, seeing your own thoughts out on paper. And for some people, it may not be safe to keep the paper because of people in their lives. But even yeah. writing it on paper and then burning it or shredding it or flushing it or whatever you do with it, still that that creation part of getting it on paper and being able to look at it first is really a helpful tool in healing. So so that's you know one of the things I, I suggest to people, even if they don't see themselves as creative, but just like see what it's like for you. You know, just try it. And if it doesn't work for you, fine. But it, but you might be surprised at how powerful it is to see your own words. Yes, that's true. Yeah. That's very true. So there are, to me, all these magical things about poetry, you know, that just as we're talking about as, as a way to write things that, that we need to, to get sort of outside of the muddle in our heads and, and to connect with people, to, to get that reminder about shared experiences, you know, sometimes just flat out to be entertained. Sometimes there are things that are just fun to hear and beautiful to hear, you know? Yes. Lots of different ways that poetry can benefit us. And none of them are, have anything to do with what I remember learning about poetry in school. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you're willing, as we're getting to the end of the hour, if you would be willing to share one more poem, that would be delightful. Oh. My pleasure. Yay. This um, poem is dedicated to Charlena Lyles and her unborn son. You know, with the police shootings that have gone on in recent uh, years, Mm -hmm. uh, 
it's unfortunately it's not anything new, and the uh, media has stopped reporting these shootings, but they're still occurring. And I picked this up off of um, the internet, where this woman was um, shot by the police in the back, and one of the bullets went through her. She was pregnant, and one of the bullets went through her unborn son. Uh-huh. So I. Um, her name was Charlena Lyles, and I wrote this poem in her honor. It's entitled, The Presence of Absence. The presence of absence is everywhere, cloaked amid the echoes of a gun's report. Yet again, a bullet slices through the aura of another growling evening. Some fresh police shooting. Searing lead tearing through the back and belly and child of yet another young black mother. Tomorrow, young mothers will shield the faces of the children. They cannot, will not run across the playground, but will huddle close to mother's pant leg. He prays them not to disappear, leaving mothers to weep and mourn the presence of children's absence again. That's sad, touching, infuriating so much. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. So I have been delighted getting to talk to you about your poetry, hearing your poetry, you know, learning about you doing photography and percussion and upcoming something with Kevin Rabus at some point and at Amy's Coffee House in Lawrence and definite at Raven Bookstore on Thursday, January 18th, 2018 with you, Joan Cormonte and Rhonda Miller and Jose Faust and Huascar Medina and your book, your beautiful book, Murmurs from Beneath the Merry-Go-Round that is from the pop poetry series of Spartan Press. I, I'm so happy to, to be able to do this and look forward to our listeners getting out to hear you, looking for that book, whether it's in an independent bookstore or they track you down, or they go to Spartan Press to, to look and see how to get it, look on Facebook, you know, that, that people... You know, this is a great thing to be able to have beautiful words by people. And, and how cool that you have now heard Joan read and get the chance to do that again and buy the book. Joan, thank you very much. And I also want to say thank you to Daniel Smith, who produces the show. We couldn't be heard if it wasn't for Daniel's great work. So, Joan, thank you. And I look forward to the next time. Okay, sounds good. And thank you for giving me, giving me this opportunity. Absolutely. And so long to our listeners.